Hello, superstars. Welcome back to another exclusive episode that is created just for the sort of awesome listener supporters. As always, we are so very grateful for all that you do to support Sorta Awesome and our message of awesome to guarantee the future of Sorta Awesome with your consistent and loyal support. We are so thankful for you. And because we have really built a relationship of trust with you all over time, over the past few years, that's why we know we can sit down and do really vulnerable episodes that we would not really put on the Friday show. I have my dear friend and everyone's favorite big sister. And I know someone who has become a dear friend to some of you all here with me today. Kelly Gordon is here. Hello, Kelly. Hey, Meg. Okay, you guys, we are going to circle way, way, <laughs> way back to last spring. Yeah, do you remember spring? Like, <laughs> do you remember last spring? <laughs> this is going back several months. We were prepping to do our sort of part two follow-up episode to our faith journeys where we've talked about we have struggled, we have searched, we have been through some shifts in our faith and the way we believe, how our faith views fit into our life, what all of that means. Well, before we recorded that episode, we asked you all in the Superstars Hangout group on Facebook, if y'all had any questions that we could start with. Well, we ended up taking a totally different route, we really continued our stories and did like some updates, but we loved your questions so much. And we have had this on our docket, Kelly, to get to literally for months. We have. And you guys, I was thinking about you, the superstars this morning and thinking about how much I know you hear Meg say at the beginning of so many shows that we want to thank you. You do not know how much your support means to us. Honestly, I think I can say this, right? We would not be doing the show. I cannot imagine how we do the show. Really, you enable the show for yes. all the people who can't be, or I know people join and sometimes have to drop out. What you are doing is so crucial. You enable us to do yes. the show for the greater public. Yeah. And I was just being grateful for you. I was folding laundry and I was like, man, those people who step up and actually give money, you are on the lines. We appreciate yeah. you so much. So we feel bad. We've had this on the docket to do for you. We loved your questions. We were like, oh yes. yeah, that'll be a good one. And I think originally we kind of thought, well, we'll do it the week right after Easter. Like, let's turn that puppy around. Let's do these questions. But you know, yes. then it was the week after Easter. As you guys remember, Meg entered the Catholic church. There was a lot. And yeah. then, oof, you know, spring, yeah. school's getting out, summer, and then it just went away. And so I feel bad that we have not circled back around. We are so glad right. to be here today to finally tackle it. And hopefully we want to make you guys more of a priority than our schedules. We just, yeah. you know how it is, you guys. It does not reflect how much we appreciate you. Absolutely. I could not have said it better myself. That is the 100% truth for sure, for sure. So Kelly and I were talking about answering these questions and we're going to, like I said, this is going to be super vulnerable. The reason this could not work as a Friday show, a lot of times our approach to the Friday shows is that, yes, we're processing through things together, but we want to leave the awesomes who are listening with some sort of takeaway, something mm -hmm. they can kind of grab onto that they could apply. And, and a lot of these questions and in our answers, there is not a pretty bow to tie it all up in and be like, and here's your action plan. You know, this is just us being super honest. We both have had faith shifts. We've landed in some different places for sure, but our journeys through unpacking, undoing some stuff, recreating some stuff, seeking out stuff. I mean, there's been a parallel track there for mm -hmm. sure. So this is just us taking some of those questions and kind of sharing our thoughts. But before we start digging into the questions, just for those of you who may be newer to the Sort of Awesome community, the Sort of Awesome family, I thought we could do just like a quick recap of what our stories have been so far, just to give everybody context, because obviously that's going to influence our experiences and our answers in a lot of ways. So Kelly, why don't you give us a little reminder of what your journey has looked like? Okay. So I'm going to try to get the key points that will especially inform where we're talking today, right? So I'm a pastor's kid, even I'm like a grand pastor's kid. Like I have that Christianity is deep in my family. Like if there was the force and you were the Jedis, like we would be the Jedi family, you know, like it's that sort of a thing. It just runs through almost everyone in my family would, you know, be a Christian, lots of people in ministry. So that's kind of my heritage. I would say, especially now looking back, if I was going to place us on 
kind of the spectrum of American evangelical Christianity, we would probably be conservative to fundamentalist. No one would have said, well, there are people in my family who would claim the title fundamentalist. But at the same time, like my immediate family growing up did not. But the roots of our belief system came from the fundamentalist movement. My father, who was a pastor, was a non-denominational evangelical pastor. So very similar to many street churches that you find, you know, they're just there. There's not an accountability. There's good and bad things about that. So that was where I grew up very, very deep in the Christian subculture, mostly went to Christian schools, only knew people in the church, only had friends from the church. Yet it was also deeply nurturing to me as a youth and especially like youth group culture. When I was a youth group student and then I went right back into being a youth group leader, you know, during the whole like the 90s thing, there was Christian music, you know, Michael W. Smith that sort of thing, Amy Grant, all the way up into, you know, PFR and then uh, DC Talk. It was See You at the Pole, like all of that stuff that a lot of you guys are probably nodding your head right now. Like, yep, um, purity culture. I was more of a youth group leader at that point, but that's informed me. It made me who I am. Certainly my faith was genuine, but it grew up in that little bubble, you know, like it was always protected. There wasn't a whole lot of challenges against it, even though I was told that we were completely at war and under siege, you know, and you were always like ready I think maybe this is like a late 80s thing. I don't know. We were always ready to defend creationism. When you went into biology that year and I had just switched to public high school, it was like, put on your war outfit, you know, like to go into biology, you know, like that. It was that sort of a mindset. So that's where I came from. I would say that as I continued to grow, continued to go to church, grew up in my, you know, young adult life, I had questions, especially in college. There were, you know, just I had different professors who believed different things, but it was still Always my questions were like, just go back. Just go back to where, you know, here, we can answer the question. You're fine. Don't be rebellious. Um, Don't, you know, have a heart like that. So it wasn't until I've said now, I would say it's like six or seven years ago as an adult. And I had done, I'd even say some growth. I really think this was pivotal too, to launch me into where I am today. I did a lot of Beth Moore stuff in my 30s, like Beth Moore Bible studies. So there was really a lot of growth happening there and in my roots into God. But In the last six or seven years, I've kind of started to say, I think a lot of it is dropping a lot of what I used to think was important or to believe so that I can really drill down into who is God? Why are we here? And I've said on the podcast before, you can go back, of course, and listen to, if this is all new to you, you can listen to our episodes that we've done too, much more in depth, of course. It's just that I think I really only believe about three things instead of, you know, 50 that I need everybody to agree on. So I have become very open-minded and I don't mean that. I mean, some people are, oh, you're a liberal commie. So my husband says anyway, <laughs> you know, like, but open-minded in a way of saying I can trust God. And so what's happened in my faith shifting is I've said, if I was going to say where I land, I don't even know that I land anywhere. I don't fit very well into mm-hmm. a lot of the labels anymore. I certainly don't feel at home in the American evangelical white church, such as you would define that. Mysticism has become really important to me, kind of that way of looking at the world. And what's happened is I'm not afraid anymore. You know, that there's a verse that says, love casts out fear. And I have experienced that. So even though there are fewer things that I believe in many ways, so much has fallen away. I have had so much growth in my life in the last five or six years and healing and joy as that's done. So that's what I would say. That's a quick, I don't know. That's the cliff notes. What about you? That's a good sum up. You've packed a lot into that for sure. Okay, so I grew up Southern Baptist in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt. Unlike Kelly, there's no clergy in our family. And also, we never did any kind of private or Christian schools. I went to public school my whole life, went to a public university. So in the sense, I do identify completely with the culture war aspect of it, because being public school kids, we were always... And it was very... I grew up in small towns in Oklahoma. There really were not... Christian schools. There may be like one where a handful of kids went to if they were very wealthy. Okay. But that was about it. And so we always kind of were trained in that idea that you always have to be prepared to give an answer for your faith. Although it's kind of hilarious looking back because we were in the Bible Belt. So almost all of our friends, even if they weren't evangelical or Southern Baptist, like almost all of our friends at least went to church, whether they were Episcopalian or Methodist or whatever. I grew up in a very homogenous environment, but still with this belief that I always have to be able to defend the faith and all of this. So I related to that so much. 
Tyler and I got married right before we graduated from college. And he was a college football coach for a little over a decade. And that meant that, I mean, that pretty much meant that he stopped going to church. Just the way college football life works as a coach, he was never able to go to church on Sunday morning. So I went to church by myself for a long time. And really, in those years, was still very happy and found a lot of comfort in the faith of my childhood. In my college years, it was in a lot of ways family for me in those times. I would say around 2008, so about 10 years ago, I really began to kind of go through what felt like a crisis at the time, but now I know was just kind of a very natural human process of disassembling what you grew up believing and like kind of figuring out like, does this mirror what reflects my own internal code Mm -hmm. of beliefs. And so some really big books for me along that way were like Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution and then his book, Jesus for President. That was the first time I navigated the idea that you could be a devout Christian that also was not married into the Republican Party platform and all that that entails. And so after I kind of was able to really process through that, I guess, that was a scary time of like, if I don't believe this, then what do I believe? I look back on those years now with a lot of tenderness because it took a lot of courage. I feel like we were definitely, by that time Kyle had left coaching, we were back in small town, Oklahoma, and it took a lot of courage in that context to begin to be like, oh, what if I actually more drawn to this? Jen Hatmaker's books and her journey had began to take a turn more towards like loving people, ministering to people outside of like political policy during that time. And I found that to be very helpful. And anyway, fast forward a few years, we moved to Oklahoma City. We never could find a church that we really felt like both Kyle and I were on the same page with. And it was like all cohesive and came together with our beliefs and not just spiritual, but our cultural beliefs and all of these things. We wandered. It's definitely our (laughs) wilderness years. So as I talked about last spring on Sword Awesome, we found ourselves a year ago, just over a year ago, in total unity and agreement that we were being called to the Roman Catholic Church. And so last Easter, we were received into the church along with our Poor kiddos. And yeah, I mean, it's been fantastic. Like I said this on the show, this is the best way I can describe it. Our friend, Kelly and I have a friend named Megan who talks about having a jar click moment. You're maybe familiar Mm -hmm. with the idea, but like if you're trying to screw the lid onto a jar, you just cannot get it all lined up. And then you just like, you're working on it. And then all of a sudden it just, everything aligns and you can close it and everything just feels like, okay, we did it. That's how it's supposed to be. There's the click. There's the click. And so that's where we are now. Very happy, faithful and practicing Catholics. Still brand new in everything and learning lots of things. And it's very exciting. So yeah, so obviously, as we talk through this, both our evangelical shared background is going to show through also, you know, kind of where we are right now is going to be part of this. So, okay, let's dig into this. The first one I want to talk about, this came up in a couple of variations in some of the questions that our superstars left for us on this thread, let's talk about this sort of tension that Christians, particularly in, let's definitely in our country, but maybe in Western culture in general, a way Christians are portrayed oftentimes in media. And there's a way that Christians experience living out the Christian faith in day-to-day life. Sometimes people feel like there's a thing of like, I see all of these angry, offensive <laughs> people that are not representing the gospel, but they're calling themselves Christians. I see them in the media, but my friends and I are over here just like truly studying scripture and truly trying to live this out. And what do we do about that? And then the flip side of that, of course, would be like, I'm so embarrassed to call myself a Christian because of the way Christians behave in media. So you are our go-to expert on all things like media and how all of this works. I want to hear your thoughts on this. So Okay. I have some big thoughts about the media, actually. It just even, you know, almost any time I get onto Facebook, I find some comment about somebody saying, well, the media is trying to divide us and the media doesn't report the story in the media. And I'm like, I have definite reactions to that. Maybe it would be better for me to ask the questions. Like, why do you think the media would be trying to divide us? Mm-hmm. Because then that might reveal why. I mean, some people are like, well, because they're controlled by the deep state and they have a deeper purpose, you know? Okay, well, then that tells me where you're coming from, you know, Mm -hmm. as far as that. 
especially the news media, obviously that's my background, right? So there's a difference. Even sometimes people are just talking about, really, they're talking about pop culture. They're saying, well, the movies and the TV shows influence popular opinion about things. So you have to even drill down that. I do think Christians, for the most part, I think we have to own this one. Mm -hmm. And I understand the tension and I'll get to that in a minute. I read a book last year, probably. It's fantastic if somebody wants to go read it. It's called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. So it's written by David Kinneman, who is one of the people that who heads the Barna Group or used to head the Barna Group. It's actually a book that's a study, you know, like they commissioned a study and then they wrote a book to break down the results. So what they did is they surveyed people 16 to 29, probably a couple of years ago now, to say, what do you think of when you think of Christians? And the results were not what anybody who truly follows Jesus would want to hear, mm-hmm. right? It was the words that were like, hypocritical, insensitive, judgmental, political, homophobic. It wasn't loving, grace-filled. You know, like there was nothing like that. And the whole book is really written saying, okay, Christians, we can bristle at this. We can have our honest emotions, but we also have to own that this is the perception. Yes. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's fair or not, it is the perception. And we have, as a Christian culture, done nothing to combat this. Mm-hmm. So they are coming at it from more of an evangelical tone than maybe I would, where they work really hard in every chapter to help evangelicals who are reading this overcome the hurdle of that's not true. So they're always like, you know, try to work at it. And of course, me, I'm reading it going, it's absolutely true. Like, I would have answered all those questions the exact same way. I can't believe that anybody doesn't think Christians are this way. Like coming from somebody from the inside out, I agree with everything, you know, Mm -hmm. like that is why the perceptions are real, because that's often how we act. It's not what we say, maybe, or what the values are on a mission statement, but it is often how we act. So I get that tension. I think that that book could help, if nothing else, lead you further down the path of this wrestle, mm-hmm. you know, trying to wrestle with this of like, well, we're portrayed or people believe we're this, but we're not. Okay. If you're not, if you don't want to be, the best thing that you can do is live your life in such a way is to combat those stereotypes, right? Yes. If you think they're unfair and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, you know? And obviously it's going to be personal too, right? Some people, like their personal interactions with Christians are going to inform what they think of Christians. Sure, yeah. So I will say that the reason that I feel this tension in a very real way is I go to a very standard white evangelical American church and there's so much dissonance for me. Honestly, you guys, I wouldn't say this hardly to anybody. I will say it to you guys. I hate Sunday mornings hate it. There is no time in my week that causes me more internal struggle because I do not want to go to that service. I do not feel it. It's almost like I'm putting myself back into a bad situation. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're trying to heal yeah. from some sort of like PTSD would be way too strong of a word for it. But like I go back into this environment mm-hmm. where I don't think people believe the way I believe. Yeah, And certainly nothing from the stage is being said that's blatantly wrong, but they're also not addressing anything that I think is important. Yeah. So it's hard. The reason that I still go to church there has to do with my kids and also because the people. Yes. If we say that church, big C church is really about, it's the body of Christ. It's about Mm -hmm. the people. I love the people at this church. Church isn't a Sunday service. And so I've honestly just stopped going Mm -hmm. to Sunday service. I work, I have some ministry things that I do that gets me out of it, you know? And that's an easy way for me to be like, oh, no, I'm serving coffee. Can't go to church. Yeah. And yet still be there and still see the people yeah. and smile at them and welcome them and do that sort of a thing. I can't go to the service and then, you know, podcasts can fill in. I have community, all the things that we say church is for, mm-hmm. I have. But there's a real dissonance there into even what I think <laughs> when I think of the term Christian and what's real. So I always have to go back to how do I want to live and how are the people that I see on Sunday mornings, who I see outside of church, who are part of my local mm-hmm. body, to use the Christianese, right. how are they living? Yes. You know, so I don't agree with them always on maybe Christian beliefs or their political beliefs for sure. Mm-hmm. But how are they treating people? Or am I seeing right. fruits of good things, healing, wholeness in their lives? And I try to leave it there. Obviously, there's a lot of emotional reaction that anybody who's come from a background has towards this. So. Yeah. I mean, what would you say? Well, I definitely, I mean, I really get it. I feel like, yes, there's not much that we can do 
to control the bigger narrative, of course. And I do think part of the issue is that we live in a very soundbite-driven news cycle. The pop culture thing is one thing. I think that (laughs) Christians, right, wrong, or indifferent, have been portrayed in certain ways in pop culture for years. I don't think that that's going to change ever. Well, and it's not just Christians. In that sense, everybody is. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Everybody can point to a beef and say, yes, so Christians just are really loud about it. But I don't know that if we've always stopped to say, well, what if you were a Buddhist? How are you portrayed in pop culture? Yes. Even the gay community. Yes. You know, are we all a stereotype? Oh my gosh. Yes. So that's funny. And that show helped make gains for us. But like, it gets tiring being portrayed a certain way. But that's just what pop culture is going to do. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that there's a point where Christians have to just (laughs) chill out. Well, like, unhook themselves from public perception. Right. You know, like, I don't know. Well, you can't control it, right? That's what you just said. So all you can do is live your life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And use your voice, insert your voice, insert your understanding of your faith where you feel led to. So if you have just like your small personal Instagram account, that's maybe private and it's just your friends and family or whatever people in your community, you maybe start with using that to talk about how you are proactively living what you believe Jesus taught is the way to live. And so maybe it starts there. And I don't think that there is like a collective solution. I really do think it comes down to what you said, Kelly, of that thing of take a step back and look at what are you inserting into the narrative? We may not be able to control or change the narrative, but what are you contributing to the narrative? I don't see this as much. I think that I just have refined my social media to where (laughs) I don't see it as much. Of course, I don't spend time in the big ocean of Facebook anymore. I only use Facebook for groups. But my sister will send me screenshots from various things. And she lives in Texas. So it's a very, you know, specific voice of Christianity. She'll send me screenshots and I'll just be like, I actually forgot people say things like this. I wish I could forget. <laughs> I mean, yes, exactly. Yeah, I know what so you mean. This kind of leads into the, another question that some of the superstars brought up that I think for me, this, was a, this is a much more relatable struggle. I think in some ways it was easier for me to sit in a pew during a church service and have like one person representing. I think that's a great nuance that you pointed out. It wasn't even necessarily things that I blatantly disagreed with, although sometimes it was. It was more of like what was not being said. Yes. That was very difficult for me to navigate. However, maybe it's because I'm a peacemaker type. I'm very passive in a lot of ways. That was more okay with me than being in small group environments Mm. where there's that dynamic of conversation. I can remember specifically, this is one of those memories I will probably never shake loose of. So in summer of 2008 is when I read Shane Claiborne's Jesus for President. Fall of 2008, President Obama is elected. We go to a Christmas party for our Sunday school class. We didn't live in Oklahoma City at the time, small town in Oklahoma. And the women are in the kitchen fixing up their plates, talking about how Barack Obama's the Antichrist. And they were not being ironic. (laughs) They were literally sharing this opinion. So to me, that's the much more frightening, like, oh my gosh, I'm not safe in this context. I guess I can feel a little bit more safe in the anonymity of the bigger service. But when it breaks down into small groups and it's like, you're really having to confront some things that are just like so antithetical to where you are. And we were brand new to that town into that church. And I just did not even feel like I could even step into that conversation. Oh no. But so one of our questions was about, let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Just kind of finding the, like if a lot of your close friendships in a church environment are formed through these small groups, but you start to like have a parting of ways and beliefs from the small group you've been part of, then what do you do? To me, that was like the true crisis really started to come in because it was easy for me to not confront it until it became personal in a friendship setting. Yeah, that's very true. I think now, years ahead, 10 years ahead of where I was in 2008, I think now I would be able to gently, gracefully, or maybe even not as gracefully, I don't know, kind of push back mm-hmm. on some things that were upsetting to me that I felt like were clearly just really opposed to some things that are really clear in scripture from what Christ taught and 
But I didn't have that courage at the time. Right. And so that's where a lot of the disconnect and like you said, dissonance really started to come in. So I don't know, like you, I think you're better at being involved in the small groups and like the personal, I mean, I know you have like mom's group and you have the coffee ministry and all of those things. You're better at navigating personal love dynamics, I feel like. Well, yes and no, because here's the great thing. And again, you guys, this is just like us having a conversation. We are just descriptive and not prescriptive here. Right, right, because right, right. I feel so lucky and truly hashtag blessed because what has <laughs> happened is I've been going through my faith shift. I have met people from my church, other places who are doing the same thing. So ah. I have been able to find people, even people at my church who are faith shifting yeah. the same way. So I yeah. have people who I can talk to. And you know, I mean, so good. we've done this. This is like, you know, code switching sort of an idea, like with Christian stuff my whole life, because I only knew the Christian subculture that even when I got a job, you know, now you're out in quote unquote, the world, you know, see my mm-hmm. hashtag mm-hmm. or my uh, little quotes here. I didn't know, like you would look for those moments of like, is this person a Christian too? Are they a real Christian? Yeah. You know, so you might drop mm-hmm. something or you might see them pray or like you're looking for those like similarities, right? Yes. yes. So the same thing now as I'm shifting this way, like what book are they reading or do they know that author or what do they think about that and how they respond? And then are they safe enough to continue the conversation? So yeah, I have been very, very lucky in that I have had some wonderful women who I have just kind of stumbled across. And I think a lot of it, honestly, since the election in 2016, people have gotten, it's been very more splintering. Mm-hmm. So people have had to kind of be like, well, no, I don't agree with that. Or yes, mm-hmm. I do. And so it's a little easier maybe to find each other. Ah, yes. So I feel lucky in that sense because I have had, even though I attend this church, my friends in that church, the ones who are the closest to, I know many of them are on the similar journey. They're not the exact mm-hmm. same, but they're willing to ask hard questions and to be more open and to expose themselves to those things. So I do think that that is the hardest thing is that if your friendships are in this small group and I've had friends, even my sister, like have been in that situation where they're in a church and they're good. And then they go to small group and the things that are being said are kind of horrifying to them. Like, Oh no, Mm -hmm. how am I going to handle this? Yeah. So, you know, I think it depends on how deep those friendships are. Like if it's new, right. I would honestly say maybe that's just not, your place. Yeah. You know, like if you get out and find someplace else, there are, I guess that's the great thing. And I know that different parts of the country are a little bit different. You know, I've not lived in the Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. but I still kind of think that you might be able to find a more Mm like-minded group of people, or at least someplace that you can be safe asking the questions. Sure. So I would say if you don't have a lot invested there, it might be wise for you to try to find Mm -hmm. people who will let you be yourself Yeah, and be true to the journey that God has you on. I think that's so right. And I do think you've made a great point, just like thinking about in the context of friendship. I actually do think if you feel like, hey, I love these women or these people, these couples, we've grown through a lot of things together. Mm -hmm. I honestly think that in the context of friendship is one of the best places to start to kind of move the needle a little bit in the conversations because there's trust there. You know, I can't speak for hardly any other flavor of Christianity, but I know in evangelicalism, when you start to step out of line, one of the first things called into question is like, are you really a Christian? Can you really be a Christian and believe this? And so in the context of a trusted, longstanding friendship, that is a good place to be like, you guys know me, you know, my beliefs, you know, how I feel about Jesus and the church and what we're even about on this planet. And I'm telling you, that I see in this scripture, or I see in what this person is saying, you know, this thing, I think it's a great way to begin to plant some ideas. Thankfully, there are people in my life years ago who began to just kind of drop those sentences, those little questions and little ponderings that kind of builds up over time. And before you know it, you're exploring things that you may not have had the courage to explore on your own because somebody went ahead of you. And so like, Betsy had asked this question very specifically because she's a like a leader and picks the studies in her small group Bible study and was getting some mixed reactions because she was maybe her beliefs were moving one way or her views on things were moving one way and the brothers in the group hadn't shifted. So yeah, I think that can be really hard if you're the person it can be very lonely, it can be very isolating if you're the person, but at the same time, over time, it could bring some redemption 
in terms of at least just getting people to be like, it is okay if another Christian does not believe this, this exact same thing that I do. If we can even move people to that place. Right. I feel like sometimes that's the biggest advancement you can hope for, you know? <laughs> right. Well, and I'll say one of the things that I have found the most challenging, and it's really funny, you know, growing up in a culture where if everybody believes the same and everything, and then everything else is the other, right? Mm-hmm. So you reject everything else and you just stay with the like-minded. When you yourself starts to shift, that basic wiring the way we look at the world is still kind of there. So we want to go, okay, now I believe this and everything else I push away is the other. And so it's a complete rewiring to not be dualistic Mm -hmm. in the way we look at it. I think even that, what you're saying is such a good point that if we're able to stay in those relationships, if they're valued, if they're deep, if they're loved to say, wait, I'm actually not being dualistic about this. Like, I think there's room for both and. Yeah not either or. And just that is such a huge shift. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If we can learn to stay in relationship, and again, I'm not saying that that's the right thing for everybody for every scenario, but you're right in the sense that that is how change happens. Mm -hmm. That's being able to stay in those relationships and ask questions and just say, hey, I love you, but I'm changing. Does that mean that we can't be friends? Right. Sometimes for other people, it does. Like it's so scary. They're like, no, You know, like, I don't know how to be in close relationship with someone who doesn't believe exactly like I do. The only way I can be in relationship with you is that now I'm I'm praying for you. I'm out to convert you back into the fold. Yeah. That's painful. But that is sometimes that's reality. But I think I'm hopeful that that's not true for everybody. Two things. I think that sentence is so valuable. I would really want to repeat it. I love you. I'm changing. Can we still be friends? Mm -hmm. I think is really valuable. And if the answer is no, I do think that the pain of that is maybe what we have to endure and experience to be able to unhook from that particular friendship to make space in our lives for the next friend that's going to come along to accompany us on the way that we now find ourselves on. And it's not fun and it involves suffering and it involves sadness and heartache. And I think you and I both have lived that out, but then there is hope for it. There's a new tomorrow. (laughs) I'm doing all these hand motions because I can't think of how to verbalize this. But it's not fun right now, but the suffering of it, I don't think will last forever. I really don't. No, I don't. I don't either. I think it's hard to, especially if you've invested a lot in those friendships, that can be really hard. Yeah. But it's worth, growth is worth it. Right. Yeah. And grace and living out of fear and with more people and acceptance, like there's some really good things on the other side. And unfortunately... I mean, it's, I'm sorry that our Christian culture has come to that, you know, that we would kind of would exclude someone because you don't believe exactly the same, but that's just how some people, that's where they are, you know? I think Hannah had asked a question too, like, how do you deal with the backlash or the fallout? Mm -hmm. Not even from like your Bible small group, but maybe in your family. Mm -hmm. I think that was just like such a great gem of wisdom. Thank you for that. Just that question. I mean, just posing it to people and I don't like to confront people, but I think When you just say it really simply like that, I'm changing in this, but can we still be friends? Can we still get along? Family's a little bit more complicated because you're definitely, there's a stronger connection there, stronger context, and it feels like higher stakes than friendship sometimes. And I think it's possible that that's where boundaries come in. Yeah. Right. I've been thinking about family and thinking it's not so much the question of still, can we still be friends? Because for most of us, there's still going to be some relationship there, right? We're not in such a toxic yeah. situation that we're like, okay, that person can't be in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And for most relationships in family, I also don't think it's, well, do you still love me? Right. I think that they would say, I still love you. In some ways, it's a little bit like, do you still respect me? Oh, yeah. Do you still trust me? Mm-hmm. Because I think that for some people, that's what we're grieving the loss of is that they yeah. think, oh, you've gone off the rails. You're not trustworthy anymore. And that's why they're constantly bringing up like, oh, well, have you read that book? Have you considered this thing? Do you know that you're backsliding? They don't trust your decisions. I would say that they don't trust God that is leading you, you know? Yeah. I'm absolutely sure that there are relationships and families who that the honest question there, just like we just said with friends, you have to grieve. The honest answer to that question is going to be, no, I don't because of the way I've raised. Yeah. I'm worried about you. I don't trust you anymore. Yeah. But then what do we do that? If they continue to be like, well, I have to insert these things, that's where boundaries come in. 
Definitely. You know, if we have to say, look, please trust God with me. Yeah. And I think sometimes the the passive aggressive response can be like, well, I'm praying for you. Yes. I mean, I think that you can turn that back around and be like, thank you. I need all the prayer I can get because this is scary or this is exciting or this is, you know, whatever. Right. But don't let it be the passive aggressive response. They want to pray for you. Go for it. Whatever. Who knows? Maybe their hearts will be changed as they're praying too. You never know what's going to happen with that. Okay. Speaking of boundaries and like assessing the narrative as it unfolds, let's talk about kids. A lot Mm -hmm. of what we've been talking about, I feel like can be applied in a lot of contexts, but when parenting and what your children believe about your faith and how you experience the world, especially as they get older, as our older children are, and they're also experiencing culture and the news and, you know, like lots of things are coming into their lives and forming how they view the world. Let's kind of talk through what that looks like as we move through these differences. Yeah. I remember there's one question by Jessica who was just saying, like, how do you protect your kids if the views that they're maybe getting from church or even their own family, like a spouse or for sure grandparents, where they're very fundamentalist or homophobic, like, how do you protect? So here's something that I would say. And again, this is just kind of where I cited is we can't protect them. Right. That's that dualistic mindset that I had to kind of uncover in myself is that I want to just shut it out and be like, nope, nope, nope. I do think that there is really strong wisdom in showing our kids how to navigate things that maybe we don't believe, not just protecting them from it. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously they're like toddlers. I'm not even sure how much they're understanding, but you as the parent have so much say in those kids' lives, how they're going to interpret, how do they react? How do they love someone who doesn't believe the same way? Instead of just saying, well, nope, which is honestly what I grew up with and what I bet a lot of our Austins grew up with. If you grew up in that kind of mindset, it was just, nope, we're going to hold them out here until they believe exactly as we do. Yep. So we're having to teach our kids a path that we have not walked. Yes. Yes. That's right. They're learning with us. So we're having to model just like a new teacher one day ahead. You're just like one day ahead in the curriculum from your kids and say, okay, so how do we do this? How do we have relationship with people who don't believe exactly like we do? Mm-hmm. So it might mean saying something and from the other person and be like, well, not everyone believes that way. Mm-hmm. You know, very non-confrontational, but just kind of making sure that your kids are hearing you say, there are other ways to view it. Yes. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Or as they come home and say things. I remember I was going through my face shift right when my oldest daughter was in middle school at a Christian school. And so they were doing like science. It was all creationism. And my stuff was starting to change there. So she would say, well, they're saying this. And I would say, well, that is what some people believe. There are also other beliefs in the Christian community that say this. So just giving her a broader perspective yes. is helpful. So I think, you know, even if, or if you're not going to say anything in front of that person, you know, like at Thanksgiving, you can. <laughs> Sometimes people write out, like say like, nope, that was racist and I'm not standing for it. There are times yeah. to do that. Sometimes it's processing with your kids on the way home, yeah. you know, and why did grandma say that? Well, yes. you know, she believes this and that isn't what I believe. And I think it's hurtful for people or, you know, however you're going to explain it to your kids. But in that way, we're helping them navigate a changing world and helping yeah. them to be open-minded and understanding that not everyone does have to believe the same as we believe. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I think that those seeds that you sow along the way definitely do come to fruition. We had a situation come up a couple of months ago. One of my daughters, she and I were just riding in the car and I don't know, just out of the blue, she said, grandma said something really racist because they, my girls will go spend the night with her and whatever. And I love my mother-in-law dearly. She's from a different generation that does not have and is very shut down to what we now understand to be racism. And my kids being in extremely diverse environments, not only hear it like in teaching from us, they hear their own friends saying, calling out because they're kids that are people of color and they're calling out what they see that's racist. So my kids are like really advanced in this. So she told me this thing that had come up. And then I said, I mean, it was like really blatant. And I was like, oh, wow. What did you say? And she said, oh, I didn't think it would be respectful to say anything. So I just stared out the window and I was like, (laughs) all right, that's probably what I would have done to (laughs) you. Exactly. So some of that, you know, it informs like when we're like, okay, yep, that's what I would have done. Yep. Should we find a different way? Maybe that is the best we can do, you know? Yeah. But like, I think sometimes when I hear my kids 
say, this was frustrating to me. I didn't know how to act. And I'm thinking, yep. Yeah. Right there. So then I'm thinking, okay, I'm the adult. Like maybe I need to help them to learn. Yeah. Like what could we do? What could we say? What would be a, maybe not a super confrontational, but a way to act in love, to open up conversations with the people that we have in our lives? Totally. And I do think too, judging how you're responding to what your kids are being taught or experiencing can be a good barometer that it's time to take action and make a change. And I'm speaking to people like myself who are more content to just go along and get along. We had a thing happen years ago at a Southern Baptist church here in the city. Was it vacation Bible school where they did the thing of like, who wants to say the sinner's prayer and become a Christian? And those kids raised their hand and they pulled them out in the hall and led them Mm -hmm. in the classic Baptist sinner's prayer. And now you're Christians and tell your parents and we're going to get you baptized. Kelly, I was enraged that Mm -hmm. that happened. I mean, I was enraged. I was heartbroken. Here's this child who I have been nurturing and leading. Mikaela and I both, we've been leading her in the way of faith her whole life since she was born. And in one moment, they took something that at the time I believed was like a pivotal moment in her life and just did it. And I wasn't there. I mean, I cried. Kyle was on the phone to the pastor. It was a thing. That was the moment I was like, I can never be Baptist again. I can never support this approach to bringing kids into the faith again. And so had that not happened, although it was a very painful experience, had that not happened, we would not have probably had the impetus to be like, we don't know what we are, but we can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going back to the question of like, how do we protect our kids? How do we, you know, navigate this? I do think that if you're spending more time unteaching what your kids are learning in a faith environment, it may be time, you know, longstanding relationships and backlash, all of that wrapped up together, understanding that's all on the line, but it may be time for you as a family to be like, this isn't our fit anymore. Yes. That's really good. So looking at the amount of time you're spending, that's really, really good. Right. Well, since we're talking about kids stuff, one thing that certainly lots of us who grew up, like you said, in a specific moment in time, in a specific view on Christianity, lots of us encountered the approach to sex and sexuality that we now look at and call like purity culture, Mm -hmm. where there's a super strong emphasis on virginity, on Uh, female virginity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, there's a lot of ways to unpack it because we are women speaking to women Mm -hmm. and we have lots of women friends. Most of us understand purity culture to emphasize virginity, not getting pregnant, not wearing provocative clothes, not acting or speaking in provocative ways that would tempt our Christian brothers to sin. Just, you know, there's a lot kind of wrapped up in that. So what does it look like as we kind of reflect back on the impact that had on our lives and on the lives of people that we grew up with? And how do we do now if that's not the direction that we want to go? Right. Do you have big answers? (laughs) (laughs) You guys, it's probably the most vulnerable because I have teenagers. So it's something that I'm still wrestling with. Yeah. One thing I know is I don't want to do it that way. Right. So Mm -hmm. if I was going to say the one thing that I can say for sure is I don't want to focus on purity culture. I talk, I don't know, almost on the daily because it comes up in conversation with more feminist leanings, I guess, is what, (laughs) of course, I grew up feminist was a total dirty word. Ironically, it was most of the women in my life who hated feminism and the ERA. I remember it was just talked about (laughs) like it was this horrible thing that was injustice and, you know, the liberal 60s. But just saying like that men and women are equal. And so like, I don't want to look down. So that sort of outlook, I think helps to make a foundation for what healthy sex is. Mm -hmm. We start there. It's just like, how do we treat people? How do we respect people? What is love? I don't want it to be, well, the women are the virgins and they're the ones responsible and that you can't cause a man to lust. Like, I don't think any of that is true. However, I don't want to go into the complete opposite swing of saying, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like I do want to be mindful of acting in a way that's loving. Yes. Toward everyone. Yes. And I'm not sure. Sometimes I think that certainly I can do this. The big pendulum swing and I go to the other side and I'm actually acting just as misguided and selfish as the other side, if you will, you know, because I'm maybe overreacting. So I'm trying to find kind of a more middle path that allows for some freedom, but that doesn't hurt people in the process. Does that make sense? Sure. Totally. Well, it reminds me, I mean, we obviously have a totally different context now. Catholicism emphasizes the theology of the body 
I will just be the first to admit that I have, I don't know if I would say retraced or forged a new path. Anyway, I'm a different place than I used to be. I used to, for years, be one of those people is like, let's don't over-spiritualize sexuality. That's nonsense. Sex is just sex. Having come into Catholicism and really digging into the writings of St. Pope John Paul II now is a completely different understanding because in the theology of the body, everything about the human body is a reflection of God and his overarching love. Yeah. And all that entails in the daily way we live, in the way that we create children, in the way we nurture children. I mean, it all fits under this umbrella of the theology of the body. In Catholicism, every person is called to chastity, not celibacy, (laughs) but everyone is called to chastity. Chastity is a virtue that married people are called to. Certainly, we are called to be chaste in marriage in both our thought life and in our actual sexuality. This idea that chastity is the overarching thing that we're all called to, whether you're married, single, a young man, a young woman, an old man, an old woman. It's a pursuit of wholeness when it comes to what we do with our bodies, because what we do with our bodies matters. I do think that there is a more balanced, if you look at it through that lens. Now, listen, I'm sure people are looking at me like I'm crazy right now. Like, really, you want to talk about the Catholic Church having a sexual purity ethic (laughs) when obviously the scandals that have rocked the church do not measure up with what the calling is. I have to say, yes, there's a huge disconnect there. There's a huge issue that internally has rocked the church because it is so out of line with traditional Catholic understanding of sex and sexuality. So obviously have to look at that. But chastity isn't like the covering up or the suppression of sexuality. It just focuses on the right use of sexuality. And so that's where we are. And one of our Superstars also asked Alex, like, how do you avoid the whole thing of like sin management as you're raising your kids? And I have found that, again, a lot of Catholicism is really built on, yes, sin is a thing. We have the sacrament of confession to go and deal with that. But really, you want to focus your mind on building up virtue in your life. Yeah. You want to live a virtuous life. And so that means things like chastity, certainly, but helpfulness, charity, you know, like all of the things that you want to focus on, like, what are you building in your life? Yeah. That's what matters, not what are you avoiding? I can just remember sitting through so many sermons that were just like, focus on sin, focus on sin. And yep. I don't know, I think the remedy for that is like, you focus on what you should be living out. Right. I could say to that too, this has been really pivotal in my understanding of, in my theology, and it just leaks out everywhere, is the way I grew up, and I bet the way you grew up too, is the first thing you should know about humans is that we are desperately wicked. You know, that we are sinners to the core. That's where we started. And I have switched that theology that Mm -hmm. we don't start in whatever it is, Genesis 2, we start in Genesis 1, where God pronounced us good. At our core, we are good. Mm -hmm. We are not evil. We are not sinners at our core. At our core, we are good. And then things went wrong. Yeah. Where you start matters a lot is what I have found. So if I'm saying that basic at my core, I am loved by God, I am one with Christ, I am good. And then there are things in my life that I need to shed to be more whole, to bring mm-hmm. healing and wholeness in the world. It changes the way I look at sin because it's not about just, you know, what we do. It's about how we're thinking it really is inside out, mm-hmm. not outside in. And that's what sin management is, what we would title that. It's like trying to change someone by controlling what their actions are. Yeah. So as a parent, then it's more about like, what do you think? What do you believe? Who are you? You act out of who you are, who you think you are. Yeah. Are you going to believe what God believes, which is that you are good and loved? Or are you going to believe what the world is saying, that you're broken, that you need more, that you're not enough, you're too much, those sorts of things. So that, it changes the way that I parent. I mean, it changes so much about how I look at life. I had a pastor friend here has young children still. And he said that the two things that I just want them to know, like before age five is you are good and you are loved. Yeah. Because if we can just get them to grasp that and to put that into their little hearts and their bodies, then as they start to ask harder questions and they get older, if that's the foundation, we can deal with Mm -hmm. a lot because, you know, well, why are you making those choices when that's not who you are? Right. So I will say, To go back to the purity discussion, the Catholics in my life, even before you entered the church, 
Jennifer Fulwiler, reading some things that she did. And what was her name, her blog before? Before it, it was, was something about Catholicism, like converting. It was originally one thing, and then it was conversion diary conversion for diary. a long okay. time. That's yes. what I'm thinking uh-huh. of. So if you guys don't know Jennifer, she is everywhere right now. You could go find her, but she converted yes. from basically being agnostic atheist her whole life, being surrounded mm-hmm. from that to the Catholic Church. And it's a very good communicator. So reading the church's views of sexuality, really mm-hmm. the Catholic Church's views, helped to inform and heal a lot of the cracks, the things that didn't make sense that I had been told growing up. I was like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. And then reading kind of this beautiful view that the Catholic Church has that you would say the theology of the body, didn't know it was called that, mm-hmm. have really helped me to build a new sexual ethic yeah. as far as what I think God is saying and who we are, why our bodies matter. So in that sense, I still think abstinence is a good thing. Yeah. I don't even think that you really have to be a Christian, quote unquote, to believe that. I think that right. you could just be a scientific person and look at studies and say, there are all sorts of reasons why this is a healthier way to go. You know, not only does it mm-hmm. avoid STDs and, you know, the potential of pregnancy, but there's all sorts of emotional ramifications. I mean, there's just all sorts of reasons to say, you don't even have to bring religion into it. You don't even have to bring God into it. Like, yeah, there's just all sorts of good things. But having a sexual ethic that does involve God and said, when I've talked to my kids about sex, I said, really, sex is a superpower mm-hmm. because what you are doing in that act has the potential to bring forth life. And that is a God-like act, right? Tell me if yeah. I'm messing up yeah. the Catholic. Uh, this no. is just how I've interpreted it. <laughs> so I'm like, that's why it's so important. That's why it's not just an animal act. Right. Necessarily. It has deeper, mysterious things going on there that we can observe but can't explain. So we need to handle it carefully. And in that sense, like that's even why like we don't talk about it a ton with our younger kids. Like the mechanics of sex are human bodies. There's no shame about it. But at the same time, yeah. some of these deeper things. Yes. You kind of have to be older to understand because it is like a superpower. You just can't understand it when you're young. I'm trying, and I'm sure you too, it is hard. Our culture for sure, the church culture does want to put a lot of shame into mm-hmm. this conversation. And we probably have families in our life that just are family members who are you know, like, we don't talk about those things. So again, we're having to learn a new road with our children to help them yeah. navigate. And I think, you know, you're talking about covering and filling in some of the cracks and holes. I think as I think back, this is hard for me because now I genuinely do view, and this is Again, a philosophy within Catholicism, the idea that the family is the domestic church. Mm -hmm. And so really a lot of this faith formation should come from home, which that's not what I grew up with. My parents definitely made sure we were in church, but they kind of like, you guys go learn about all of this stuff. Let the Sunday school teachers and the youth group leaders teach you all this stuff. We know it's in line with what we believe. We just aren't going to teach it to you directly kind of thing. Hmm. So I kind of go back and forth on this because I feel like in youth group, there was a lot of emphasis on avoiding sex, but there was not a lot of emphasis on like, what does married life look like? Not just the sexual component, hmm. but you're talking about people who with it, who reasonably could see themselves married in the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years. What does married life look like? What does it mean to be in the covenant of marriage? What does it mean to be self-giving in your love to someone else? What do we expect? What should we look for as we're thinking about somebody to be partnered with for life. I wonder how different some of our understandings of sex and sexuality could have been had it been a more holistic view on sexuality is an important component of the human life, for sure. It's an important component if you are called to marriage. It's an important component of married life. But let's talk about like, what does this look like in a healthy way? going forward. And I think that that hopefully is something that our generation is kind of like, nobody taught me this. How do I make sure my kids are prepared for this? Emily Keener asked about not being able to kind of find her fit in church as a 40 year old single woman, Mm, no kids and the heavy emphasis on moms and on how much children can be a connecting point and how do you find inclusivity in church environments? That's a hard one, isn't it? It is so hard. Yes. Because really the church that I know is, it's built around families. So I feel so sad for my single friends, you know, single Mm -hmm. in whatever way that they can't find, it is like 90% of the things are built around that one connecting point. 
I do think that your community doesn't always have to be in a church mm-hmm. in the sense mm-hmm. of it doesn't have to come out of the church that you attend. You might find a different place to plug in. You know, of course, the, the bigger the church, the more likely they are to have something that's programmed for single people. Um, yeah. I'm not even sure that's the right way to go. Honestly, I think the best way is to find a small group that can be filled with different types of life stages and yes. relationships. Like really, it seems to me that's the most wholesome yeah. model. So, you know, looking for that, I really think I know so many people who are married who feel the same way. Actually, we're sad that we don't have single people in our lives. Yeah. You know, in the sense that we don't want people to feel out there. So if there's somebody that you can build a friendship with and just say, hey, I want a deeper friendship. You know, I know I don't have the kids. Just reach out. And again, yeah. that impetus on you, I would say to my married friends, look for those people so that they don't have right. to approach you. Maybe you approach them. Hey, do you want to be in my small group? Do you want to come over and eat? How can I come alongside of you? You know, how right. can we be friends? How can we build community here? Is it going to be messy? Yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah. But I wouldn't give up. I'm hopeful in some ways. Some of the conversations I see today in the church, that that will be one of those glaring blind spots that will be overcome. And I think anytime churches can provide gatherings that are not like age and stage of life based. Yeah. Like when we were in the Baptist church, all Sunday school classes, small groups were all divided by age. These are the 20s. These are the 30s. And if you're stuck in, like if you're single, you don't have kids and you're 35 and everybody's baby showers and all this all the time, that can feel isolating, I'm sure. I think the more that churches can gather people based on interests or even service opportunities, which may be like, oh, I have to serve in order to find friends. Like that would be one way to look at it. But the flip side of that is when it's built around service, like in the Catholic church, we have altar society. It's kind of like the women's group that takes care of, um, they do all of like the linens for the liturgy and um, make sure that there's wine and bread for, you know, communion, these types of things. Well, it's essentially serving the church. Mm -hmm. But what you're going to find, I think, in service oriented gatherings is that there's women there who have time. They're not in the midst of tiny babies, you know, in a carrier and toddlers at their feet. They're going to be other single women. They're going to maybe even be a couple of years ahead of you. Maybe they're empty nesters or their kids are just even old enough that that their kids are not the single-minded focus of their life, which, listen, I've been there. I've had little kids. You can't do anything else. I get it. But when you are in a gathering where there's some other thing besides just your stage of life, maybe that might be a good connecting point, both for women and men, I'm sure, also have this thing of wanting to be able to find people outside of the context of like... Here's all the couples with all their little kids. And where do I fit in in this? Okay, I'm going to say this is one last question that I had kind of wanted to touch on because it's super practical. And I'd be curious to hear what you say as a Catholic. Is it Avia or Avia? I'm not sure I'm pronouncing your name wrong. I'm so sorry. But kind of she was asking about how attending specific churches, you know, maybe with a kid, like how you navigate that. Sometimes, like you said, you and Kyle didn't go to church for a while. Yeah. Um, Then you feel that guilt because... We're probably just programmed to feel that guilt. So I can certainly talk to some of that having different kids. But what do you like? Do you go to church every week? You're at church more than just on Sundays, I know. But how do you navigate that as a family? Well, I mean, now we do go to church every week. But yeah, there were years, years, you guys, where we did not go. And it was very difficult. And it caused a lot of dissonance because especially with Daisy, who in her younger years had gone to church very regularly. When your child is asking you, like, why can't we go to church? Why can't I be baptized? Why this? It's so hard. And the best that we could do in that time would be to, first of all, explain. We were just really honest, yeah. in age appropriate way. But we would just be honest that we're just, we were praying and looking for a place where we fit, where we, as the mom and dad of the family, felt like was a fit for us. And then also that was going to provide the best spiritual life for them, which was fine, but it didn't really appease, you know, what she was looking for. And so bringing in podcasts or books or, you know, other experiences to kind of fill in the gaps at home a little bit, I don't think that would have been a great solution for us long-term, but in some ways it was kind of a stopgap while we were navigating our own faith crisis. It's so complicated when you have kids that are old enough to pay attention and know what's going on. And I would never say that there's any easy solution to it. I will say that's what we did. Mm -hmm. They also 
saw me cry a lot, real tears over not being able to find a church. This was a, a huge time of crisis and struggle and angst for me, definitely. I hope that in some way it gives them a fuller picture of faith, that faith is not always easy, that sometimes there's some real wrestling and some real working out of it. I never really saw that with my parents. We certainly had other struggles that we experienced, but I hope that it helps them to see a fuller picture, a more holistic picture, maybe. Yeah, that's really good. And I would say the same thing in that way. I feel like my kids have been even a little bit older as I've been going through my faith shift. My faith shift is not my husband's faith shift. Right. So, you know, there was even another question in there about, you know, this in-between time is uncomfortable and messy. And I think almost like, does it have to be that? And I think, yes, to some degree, it's for sure uncomfortable. For many people, it's scary. It's an upending. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. But just know that the reason probably this type of podcast, like what we're doing right now, where it's just very vulnerable and like, here's all the things that we've tried. We don't necessarily have solutions. The reason we can do it here is because that's kind of what it is. If somebody tells you like there's an easy, you know, five-step process to transitioning your faith, they're lying. Yeah. Everybody, you know, things are too different. Your family is different than my family. Our dynamics are different. You just have to wrestle it out. I think if you can wrestle it out with hope, you know, like mm-hmm. that is springing forth, that like it's worth it, that the spirit is calling you forth, that there is more love with that sort of, that's faith, right? Yeah. That's truly what faith is, is that you're saying, I trust that something out there is better and I can't prove it. And I don't necessarily see that right now, right? but I'm going to keep moving forward. So my children are certainly old enough to be at that age where they're kind of making their faith their own mm-hmm. as I've been wrestling. So the good things about that is that I was able to be also very honest. I think that's a good word, you know, just to be honest with your kids, but in an age-appropriate, non-scary way. Yeah. So I've been able to say, yeah, I don't know that I believe that anymore. And I struggle with that. And that expression of Christianity, I don't like it. Like, I don't think that that's where I'm coming from. So I was able to have these conversations with my daughter, who, you know, is now 17, at the same time that she was probably processing some of that. So for better or for worse, we've been kind of going through it together. So, you know, my two teenagers are at that age where they're still kind of grappling with mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. So I've grown up with this. Does it really fit in my life? Does it matter? What's my expression? I think the cool thing about me going through this at the same time is that I'm hopefully, like you just said, modeling for them that it's worth looking for the thing that fits. Yeah. It's worth going out there and saying, okay, so I don't like this Christianity, but I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. I'm going to go find a community. I'm going to find where I fit. And then you will feel alive, mm-hmm. right? Then that yeah. is worth it. So right now, you guys, we're in such a messy place because we go to a church where my younger kids have friends and we don't want it. And I trust the people who lead kids ministry to our church. I trust. Mm-hmm. They are not going to do that. Come out into the hallway mm-hmm. and say a prayer thing. You're know, like, they're good friends. And so I trust the way they're going to lead kids ministry is going to be the best I'm going to get. Yeah you know, a quote unquote generic evangelical church. So that means a lot to me. They have friends, they have an ability to make relationships. I don't want to pull them out. Yeah. So we're in this really like, I don't go to Sunday services. They go to Sunday school. I'd really like to find, like, especially for my oldest daughter who has no community at our church. My son kind of does. I kind of like to start to take her to some other churches Yeah. and be like, you know, you're kind of half college, half, like, let's go find a place that you might connect. It's not going to be the church that we go to. Absolutely, for sure, not going to be the church we go to. I know that already. But trying to enable her to find something that does fit. You know, for me, the reason this works is that I do have friends who are on this path with me, some of them in the church, some of them at different churches in the community. I have podcasts that I can listen to. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. You know, even though this is not quote unquote ideal, you know, I'm not all in at my church. And our family is kind of fractured. Mm -hmm. But that's just where we are. And it's messy. But trying to help our kids see that it's worth it to me to wrestle with it. Yeah. I mean, you only wrestle with things that you value. Yes, that's right. That's right. So in that sense, like I'm saying I value this enough to say that it's messy. I value this enough to say I'm not giving up. Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to throw it all out and say, you know what? That was all wrong. No more God. To be honest with, this is how I've changed. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's kind of 
again, the best we can do, this is we can say that this is what we've done mm-hmm. as we've talked to our kids through the process of shifting faith. And hopefully they'll see that it's okay. Even my husband and I, that we're not always on the same page. Yeah. I'm hoping that my kids see that it's okay, that we can still love each other. Yes. And we don't have to agree on everything. Right. And we can have grace. Isn't that the model anyway? Yes. You know, I didn't see that growing up either, just because my parents, they agreed on everything. Yeah. Or at least that's all we saw. So just having to walk it out in front of them. Yeah. That's good. Well, we thought this was going to be a little quick hop on the mic and let's knock out a few questions, but now you guys are getting a full length episode. So. Yes. <laughs> and you're lucky we're ending here because, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is good stuff though. You yeah. guys, the questions that you came through with that we have neglected for too long, were so good and rich. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that this, even though it's late, We'll come back and answer some of your questions and encourage you, right? I yeah. mean, both of us, even though we've landed in different places, I feel nurturing yeah. toward so many of the awesomes and the superstars who are raising their hands and saying, hey, I'm also on this journey and I feel alone or I feel scared. You know, I just want to love on you and say. I know. I mean, I think probably I will say it for me, I think you would probably agree. There's some redemption for us yes. as people in this because we have been through the slog of it all and the very painful parts of it. So, yeah. Thank you guys for just trusting these questions to us. Thank you for letting us share our thoughts. I do hope that this inspires even more conversation. I mean, I know that this is going to come out the week of Thanksgiving, so maybe everybody's going to be out shopping and <laughs> not so bogged down in the depths of spiritual crisis. But anytime you guys want to have follow-up conversations in our exclusive hangout group that we created just for this very reason, so that we could have our own little corner of Facebook that we can That's right. really open up our real thoughts and feelings about things too. If you haven't done that, if you've not joined us in that community, it's facebook.com slash group slash SA superstars. The only thing you need to do to join is get us your email address that's attached to your Patreon account because that's how Patreon tracks you. And we can double check that you are in fact a superstar. So come over and join us. It's very quiet. It moves slowly. It's really relationship focused. We would love to have you join us over there. Shoot us an email, give us your follow-up thoughts. We'd love to hear it. Thanks again for trusting these questions to us. And thanks for trusting your support to us. That means a lot. So. Kelly, thank you for taking the time to sit down. Oh, yes. My pleasure. And do this. And we'll see y'all soon.